Good morning. Excited to be in God's house today. Let's all stand together for the reading of God's word from 2 Kings chapter 22. Inquire about the words written in this scroll that has been found. For the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in this scroll. We have not been doing everything it says we must do. Let's pray. Father, help us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So it's Sunday before Election Tuesday. How's everybody feeling? Anybody excited? So some groans. All right. Uh, Well, you know, ABC polling has has said that the two candidates are the most disliked presidential candidates in 30 years of polling. So spoiler alert, on Tuesday, someone's getting elected. And a lot of people are just going to be, you know, disappointed. But what does it say about where we are at as a country when our best hope on election day is to try to dodge a bullet? Do you ever just wonder, how did we get here? We do ourselves a disservice when we open up the Bible and we read it as a historical document because it is a living word. This is our story. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun. All that is happening now has already happened in this book. And the scripture that we're looking at this morning was said by a 26-year-old King Josiah. He became king of Judah at the age of eight when his daddy was assassinated by his own cabinet, which were then all hunted down and killed. Inner city Oakland had nothing on Judah. Josiah's papa was a rolling stone. And when he died, all he left him was alone. Josiah was fortunate because godly men came alongside of him and they offered him guidance. But I imagine that Josiah was left with a lot of questions. Why was my daddy murdered? Why do I have to be responsible when I just want to be a kid? Why is our country divided? Why did Assyria take half of our country? What's going on and how does any of this make sense? You see, what was happening in Judah is eerily similar to things that are happening today. I want you to consider some parallels. We were both founded on a covenant with God. Israel was a nation founded on a covenant with God, just like America was founded by men who were making a covenant with God. George Washington said in his inaugural address to this country, Since we ought to be no less persuaded that the propitious smiles of heaven can never be expected on a nation that disregards the rules of order and right which heaven itself has ordained, and since the preservation of the sacred fire of liberty and the destiny of the republican model of government are justly considered as deeply, perhaps finally, staked on the experiment entrusted into the hands of the American people. Washington was making it clear on day one that no nation can expect to be blessed by God if they turn away from him. If a nation forgets God, she will lose the blessing that God has given to her. 
Here's another one. We're both divided. Israel had become divided into north and south. Israel in the north, Judah in the south. America is spiritually and politically and socially divided. And aren't we seeing this today? I mean, look at how hostile this election season has been. You you have a group in one corner over here saying, we hate your candidate. And there's another group over here saying, we hate your candidate even more. And when you ask one of them, well, do you like your candidate? They're, no. And you ask these ones over here, do you like yours? No. Uh, Look at the map. Red versus blue, in his farewell address, George Washington warned the American people not to allow political parties to form because it would divide us, it would ruin us, and we ignored him. How's that working out? Worst of all, God's church is divided. There's over 200 Christian denominations in America today. One denomination vilifies another. Another denomination splits because they don't think we should eat meat or we should use instruments in church. Even in the early church, these subtle divisions were starting to creep in. And Paul warned the Corinthians, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and in the same judgment. But we didn't listen to the Apostle Paul either, and the church is divided. We're like Israel of Judah's time because we're corrupt on every level. In Judah, corruption had had infested every institution. True worship was unfunded. It was in shambles. Because of Manasseh, Josiah's grandpa, and Ammon, Josiah's dad, false religions were made equivalent to the worship of the true God. In Josiah's time, sexuality was up for grabs, even in God's house, where male and female prostitutes had set up shop. And today in America, we see the Presbyterians and the Evangelical Lutherans and the Episcopalians falling from God's word into sexual confusion and political correctness. Every American institution in the last eight years has been involved in some major scandal. The IRS became weaponized and illegally targeted pro-Israel and conservative groups. No consequences, I would add. The NSA was caught illegally spying on American citizens without warrants and recording intimate phone conversations between spouses while one of them was deployed overseas. Was anyone fired? No. We've got Benghazi. Our government was running military-grade weapons to jihadists in the Middle East. And then that blew up. And then Americans were lied about to about it after the fact. The freedom of our press has never been under more attack than in the last eight years. As our own government spies on and wiretaps and sues members of the press who try to expose truth, The Espionage Act has been used against whistleblowers more in the last eight years than in every other presidential administration combined. On the gun issue, we have a government that is selling military-grade weapons to insane jihadists, communist tyrants, and drug lords around the globe, while at the same time saying that law-abiding Americans should have less access to civilian-grade firearms. And all of these things are just scratching the surface of the corruption that we know about. 
We both participate in human sacrifice. Manasseh sacrificed one of his own babies to an idol. I want you to let that sink in for a second. Israel wasn't just backsliding. This was satanic behavior. Look at America. Today we have politicians who openly and vocally endorse the murder of babies to the idols of selfishness and greed and convenience. This this is where we are. We're here in 2 Kings. So now what? Well, Josiah, as a young man, he'd been reading the scriptures, and he says, the Lord's great anger is burning against us because our ancestors have not obeyed the words in the scroll. We've not been doing everything that it says we must do. And Josiah finally gets an answer to his questions about why, oh, we're being disobedient. It's time to clean house. I said it's time to clean house. Gathering godly leadership around him, Josiah ordered every idol burned, and he tore down the brothels, and he shut down the psychic hotlines, and he unified true worship and invested funds to restore God's house. He reinstituted a national Passover celebration to honor God unlike any that had ever been done in the history of Israel. And he used all of his political power to return the nation to God. And it sets him head and shoulders above every other king in the history of Israel. Can you imagine if we elected a President Josiah? You want to just daydream here with me for a second? A president who puts God back where he belongs in America. Who puts prayer back in schools. Yeah, come on now. This is exciting, right? You like it? I already like it. (laughs) Who puts the Ten Commandments back on every wall in every courthouse. A president who would absolutely confront corruption and bureaucracy and restore liberty and a devotion to our Constitution. Who would eliminate all the bribes and all the deception. Who would restore justice back to the justice system. When anyone, regardless of rank or wealth or political position, if they're convicted, they go to jail. One that would defund abortion and protect the innocent. A president who would unashamedly pray and call upon the name of the Lord. That was, fun. that was fun for me. I don't know. Was that fun for you? That would be awesome. But, you know, unless we the people are awake and passionate and engaged with our liberty and our form of government, we can never demand such a president. Now, we've got unpopular candidates, and I I think that's kind of a blessing in a way because it forces us to face the truth that our hope cannot be in a politician. So just to kind of set this and clarify this a little bit, let's take it to the other extreme. What if Satan himself was elected president? Now, come on now. Just come on with me. I want you to think about it. Maybe some of you think that they're already on the ballot. Um, If Satan were the president of the United States of America, would we have more faith that he would achieve his evil will or that almighty God would achieve his holy will? 
Do we have more faith in the powers of evil and corruption than we do in the power of our almighty God? We either believe that our God is sovereign or we don't. And here's how you can tell if you believe that God wins. Are you biting your nails about election day? Are you really afraid that one candidate is going to get in office because then, well, it's over, close the book? Or are you unshakable? You see, the only reason that you and I know about a Roman politician named Pontius Pilate is because he was a story, he was a footnote in the story of Jesus. If it wasn't for Jesus, we would never have heard about him. Powerful emperors, kings, and presidents are all just footnotes in the story of our king of kings, Jesus Christ. You see, if Josiah became president, we might be tempted to think, whoo, he's going to set everything right, and we don't have anything to worry about now, and mistakenly put our faith in a man and the laws that he passes and the way that he runs a government. You know, if our society did get a Josiah, his influence here would be short-lived too because our culture is corrupt. Our culture is sick with sin. No politician can heal us. My hope is not in a president. It's not in any politician or government agency or institution. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I, I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. We have to be able to say, my faith is in you, God. You see, Josiah died. And when he did, everything began to crumble. And it wasn't long until Judah fell to Babylon. You see, Josiah's revival ended because it was man-driven. Josiah's heart was changed. He was on fire for God. But the people were not. And while he made powerful changes, unlike any before or after him, it wasn't enough. Why? Because top-down authoritarian change, it only lasts as long as the external influence remains. The hearts of the people hadn't been transformed as his was. A spiritual momentum was in effect, but it came to a screeching halt when Josiah died and judgment was poured out on Israel. You see, it's never a matter of if judgment will come. It's a matter of when and to what degree. Thomas Jefferson said, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. So if we can't rely on a flawed human being sitting in the Oval Office, how, how do we make America great again? We commit ourselves to be Josiah. And that means we wholeheartedly turn to the Lord and we destroy everything in our lives that does not glorify God, that isn't submitted to him. Did you know, did you know that you are royalty? When God first made man, what did he give him? Dominion, authority, And that's one of the things that our God wants to restore to broken and fallen humanity. In Exodus and in Revelation, God refers to his own people as kings and priests. 
And that means that we must exercise dominion and authority over everything that falls into our sphere of influence. We can't be passive, and we can't just be reactive. We're royalty. We decide. We act. Your kingdom, it might just be your apartment. It might be your college campus. It it might be your place of business or your classroom. It is the place where you serve or administrate. It is the circle of your family and your friends and the sphere of influence that you have. Your kingdom is everywhere that you go and everything that you touch. And being Josiah means that we imitate his devotion to study God's word and to obey it. We don't care about what's expedient or what's convenient, but rather what shows obedience to Christ. And we remove all the corruption from our lives, and we expose every lie for what is true. We destroy anything in our lives that seeks to compete with God for first place in our hearts. And we're 100% in agreement with God. We give God everything and leave Satan nothing. And we get right with God, and we set right our relationships with each other. Being Josiah means that we pray for our leadership, regardless of whether we agree or like them. Amen. (laughs) First Timothy chapter 2, here we go. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. And pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God, our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and understand the truth. Do you spend as much time praying for our president as you do criticizing? Hmm. I needed that as much as you did this morning. I know you've been praying for this election, so this morning we're going to do exactly what this verse commands. And we are going to pray for both candidates. Thank you for saying amen, sister. I appreciate that. Look, I get it. This might feel like mom is making you eat broccoli at the table. It doesn't taste good. But mom was right. It is good for you. Why? Because praying for our leaders helps us to grow up in the spirit and to put our feelings aside and start to see things from God's perspective. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to launch out into this prayer, and I just want you, everyone, to repeat after me, because I'm not doing this by myself this morning, brothers and sisters. <laughs> Father, bless Donald Trump. Touch his heart with the power of your grace. Forgive his sins if he becomes our president. Grant him your wisdom. Help him lift our nation. Give Mr. Trump an experience with Jesus. One that's undeniable and unshakable. Make him a tool in your hand that your will would be done here in America. Let every member of his family come to Christ. Surround him with advisors that walk with you, that know you, that are wise and understanding. 
Father, bless Hillary Clinton. Touch her heart with the power of your grace. Forgive her sins if she becomes our president. Grant her your wisdom. Help her to lift our nation. Give Hillary an experience with Jesus that's undeniable and unshakable. Cause her to see abortion for the evil that it is and no longer support it. Make her a tool in your hand that your will would be done in America and let every member of her family come to Christ. Surround her with advisors that walk with you and know you and are wise in understanding. In the name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said... If we're going to make America great again, we need a revival. Revival does not start at 2620 Calusa Highway. It starts at your home address. It starts in our hearts. Josiah tore down all the places that not only displeased God, but attempted to replace God. We must go through our lives and put them under the microscope of the Holy Spirit and ask him if there's anything in me that doesn't please you. I will destroy it. Revival begins in a heart that repents and turns fully to God. You see, there was a moment when Josiah, he was doing his thing, right? He was going through the countryside. He was tearing down all the idols and he found a monument and he said, what is that? Is that another thing that I need to go and break? And they said, no, sir. It is the tomb of the prophet who prophesied this exact moment and called you by name and said that you would return our country to God. You see, Josiah had been prophesied. And I have to believe that when he found that out, it gave him an unshakable sense of destiny and confidence that everything that he was doing was sanctioned by God. It was supported by God and that God would be with him in all of his endeavors. And what if I told you that you have a prophecy written about you in this book? That you have a calling and a destiny that makes hell tremble? That your coming was prophesied by Joel when he said, In the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy, and your young men will see visions, and your old men will dream dreams, and even on servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, says the Lord, and they will prophesy, and I'll show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke, The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great coming of the glorious day of our Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. As followers of Jesus, we are the only ones that have been chosen and empowered by God to be the agents of transformative change in this broken world. Jesus never said, I'm empowering presidents and government agencies. No, Jesus came to save you, not governments. Jesus will destroy every government when he appears. You are the treasure that Jesus came for. 
Josiah, he stepped out in obedience to God and he saw himself in the prophecy and he saw how he fit into the story and he knew nothing's going to stop me now. And you too have been prophesied. You belong to the story of God's redemptive work in this world. And you will tear down everything that is a lie, that is corrupt and seeks to replace God. You will be the Josiah generation. You will be the Josiah of your own heart, the Josiah of your family, the Josiahs of our city that change everything. Nothing of hell can stand against you. You are unstoppable. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They'll be able to handle snakes with safety. If they drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They'll be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. We are given power. America's hope doesn't rest on the shoulders of a sinful human being sitting in the White House. No matter who gets elected on Tuesday, spoiler alert, judgment is coming. Your order is on the way to you. I placed an order online for something, and I love you know, how they email you the receipt, but they also email you a link that you can track where that item is on its route to your house. And as individuals, and collectively as a nation, we made a purchase, and we bought judgment. It's pay to play. We played, and payday is coming. Judgment is in order, and it's on its way to our address. So when Josiah was 39 years old, he was shot and killed by an Egyptian army. He had thrown off all of the generational sins and the scandals that had ruined his family and ruined his country He was a powerhouse for God. He drained the swamp of political and religious corruption. He spearheaded a revival of true worship and a covenant with Almighty God. And that boldness is what gave Josiah the nerve to go walk up to the border and stand eyeball to eyeball with the superpower of Egypt. And Josiah got shot and killed. Now, some people's limited thinking would say, well, it must have been the wrong decision because of the outcome. You know, if he had made the right call, he would have lived. But that's not how Daniel and his friends looked at death when they were in that situation. They said to the king of Babylon, O king, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. God might save us. He might not. But here's the fact. We will never bow to your idol. Outcome doesn't matter. Because it's not about our self-preservation anymore. It's about our full commitment to God. Paul said, I've already won. To die is gain. I can't lose. And having that mindset gets us in step with the Spirit. And this is what is recorded in 2 Kings. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his strength in accordance with all the law of Moses. No one before him or after him in the lineage of the kings of Israel. Wow. His attention to detail in obedience to God, was unmatched. And you'd think, you'd think that that would earn him a long life, you know, that he would die a happy old man surrounded by family. 
But the next verse says, nevertheless, the Lord did not turn away from his fierce anger, which burned against Judah because of all that Manasseh had done to arouse his anger. So the Lord said, I will remove Judah from my presence as I removed Israel, and I will reject Jerusalem, the city I chose, and this temple about which I said my name will be there. I think there's a fallacy that somehow because we're Christians, you know, we get to skip out on judgment. When the opposite is true, God says judgment begins in my house. Everyone in this room, we're all going to die at some point. And we're all going to be judged by Christ. Saved, yes. But our works and our words and our deeds and our hearts will be weighed and judged by him. Now, we can delay the inevitable, you know, by eating healthy and going to Northside Fitness and working out. But, you know, the best we can do is delay. And the same is true for our country. God will judge America just as surely as he will judge all nations. Yes, God will respond to our repentance. He will always be faithful to keep his promises. But what I'm saying is the best we can do is delay Kick that can down the road by wholeheartedly returning to the Lord as Josiah did. And after Josiah puts his trust in God and he puts God back in the rightful place in Israel, the prophetess Huldah gives a word to King Josiah. You were sorry, she said, and you humbled yourself before God when you heard his words against the city and its people. And you humbled yourself and you tore your clothing in despair and you wept before me in repentance. And I have indeed heard you, says the Lord. So I will not send the promised disaster until after you have died and been buried in peace. You yourself will not see the disaster I'm going to bring on the city and its people. At some point, judgment must fall. And folks, we're ripe for it. When the blood of 60 million American babies cries out who have been aborted. When more black babies are aborted in New York City than are even born. We are literally killing our future, and payday is coming. So, so some people would say, why? Well, why should I be like Josiah? Why should I bother with all of that inconvenience? What's the point if everyone's going to die and everyone's going to be judged? Well, I'm glad you asked that question because there are several benefits to repentance. And the first one is a personal benefit by tearing down every part of our lives that are not submitted to God. Those of you who, who know, have known me for a long time may know some of this story, but there was a period of my life where I was living in complete rebellion to Jesus Christ. I was out of control. It was living for myself completely. And I found myself in a hospital in Connecticut. And the doctors were saying to my parents, you know, it doesn't look good for your son, for him to walk away from this situation. And I just want to say here, you know, faced with my own mortality, that death is not scary. It's a fact. It's a thing, another moment in life, like every other moment of our lives. I want to tell you what bothered me more than death. Was the idea of looking into the face of God and seeing disappointment on his face. That everything that he had invested in me, I had wasted it. That yes, he would forgive me because I had repented, but I'm so disappointed in you. I, didn't, I couldn't hear those words from him. And you know what I did? 
I begged God for time. <laughs> I said, please, just give me time. Time to show that I was not a waste of your investment in me. Would you just give me time? And you know what he did? He gave me time. Now, at some point, this body is going to die, right? But I didn't die in that hospital where I should have. So God gave me an extension on filing my taxes. I'm still going to have to file at some point. But now I've got time, right? I've got time to get another shot at this thing. And that is the most precious thing that you and I could ever receive from God, isn't it? Time. Don't look at the story of Josiah and be tempted to say, well, well, he died, the, you know, so what's the point? That's like saying, well, someday I'm going to die, so why not just get a big box of donuts and jump off the building, right? <laughs> Interesting that that's where I went to, right? You know, I'm, <laughs> give me a box of donuts, I'm ready to go, come on. <laughs> Uh, no, time is precious. Why? Because in the time that we're given, we can make things right. And that's all that we can really ask for, isn't it? Time to make things right for ourselves, right in our relationships, so that when we look in the face of Jesus, we can say, I have as few regrets as possible. I wasn't just pursuing my own selfish will, but I turned my will over to you. So there is a selfish reason to pursue revival in our lives, but we also pursue it for the sake of others who will benefit now by a delay of judgment. There's a lie we must tear down that our decisions only affect us. Hey, whether I attend church, whether I support church with my tithes, whether I pray, read the Bible, get rid of sin in my life, that's a personal matter. It's between me and God. It doesn't affect anybody else. But when we become Josiah, we see the truth that our choices affect everyone. We are all tools in the hands of Christ. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you are a tool. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm never coming to this church again. <laughs> We're tools. And our choices is whether we allow Jesus to work through us or in spite of us. So let's choose to be clean and pure vessels for him to work through. Tuesday's going to happen. Someone's getting elected, and a lot of people are going to be upset either way. But your vote matters. When you walk in that voting booth, you validate the sacrifices of patriots who spilled their blood for your freedom to do that. And in that voting booth, you are as powerful as a billionaire. Both of you get one vote. And as for me, I cannot and I will never vote for any politician who vocally supports the murder of the unborn. And that is one way in which my faith intersects with politics. Faith ought to affect our vote on Tuesday. But real faith will also be standing there to face the reality of Wednesday and the four years after that. The way your faith affects every area of your life means that you interact 
the way you interact with others and everyone else is also affected. That means the people who are at the polling booth or whether they're holding a picket sign supporting something that you disagree with. The whole city will be changed, not just because you're telling people about Jesus, but because your life reflects the presence of King Jesus in you. You see, God doesn't belong to a political party. He doesn't belong to an organization or a denomination. He didn't come to save a country. He came for individuals, all of us. And when you allow him to radically transform your life, like I did, and judgment is delayed, everyone who experiences how God has changed your life can also have their life changed. And we pursue this personal revival for the benefit of those who are coming after us. How many parents or grandparents are in the room this morning? Can I see your hand? Wave at me. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Your desire is to ensure that your family will carry the torch of faith in their lives. And you might read the story of Josiah and you think, you know, he did a lot of amazing things, but, you know, what for? He died. It was over. And the city and the country was judged. No. What Josiah did inspired some young boys named Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. And they picked up that banner of faithfulness and obedience to God in their lives. Even though they were taken captive by Babylon and enslaved, they never compromised. They would never serve an idol to please a violent, self-absorbed dictator. They wouldn't even eat what God considered unclean to please their captors. But Josiah's legacy doesn't even end there. You see, because Daniel took up that model of King Josiah and he lived according to God's will, he received visions and prophecies about Messiah, prophecies that hundreds of years later, wise men from the east studied and followed, and they traveled and found the Savior of the world in Bethlehem. People who would never have any reason to schedule a trip to a podunk town named Bethlehem got a personal encounter with God in the flesh because of Daniel, because of Josiah. And that's what we must do. There is another generation that must receive from us that spark that Josiah planted in those young boys like Daniel, who watch us turn everything in our lives that is sinful over on its head and let the chips fall where they may, who see us filled with zeal for God and to be bold and fearless in our obedience to him, because then our lives, our zeal, our faithfulness will cause them to pursue a journey to the feet of Jesus and to encounter God himself and be changed. That movie, Saving Private Ryan, which I imagine many of you have seen, it tells a story about eight men. They're sent on a mission to save one young soldier. He's the last surviving member of his family, and to save him so that his legacy, his family, you know, wouldn't end. And most of that team of eight soldiers die to save Private Ryan. And this is our calling, to save the next generation. Because they're in a spiritual fight. You do see that, don't you? To die to ourselves, to die to our wills, to die to our comforts, to die to fitting in with this culture and save the next generation and to save America. But in order to save the one, you have to be with him all the way. All, the, all in, every part of our life needs to say, I'm with him. I serve Almighty God and only God.